0: insights into investing in Africa this is the topic of our take 15 I'm Usman Hath from CF Institute and today I'm joined by Dr. Kosana Moyo who's the founder and executive chairman of Mandela Institute of Development Studies in South Africa. Dr. Moyo has a rich experience of investing in Africa, and in this interview, I'll try to get some of his insights in in investing in Africa. Welcome, Dr. Moyo. Thank you very much, Osman. So, we hear a lot about risk and return opportunities of investing in Africa, and I want to start with the risk first. So, are the actual risk higher than the perceived risk or is it the other way around? Uh, what's your take on risk?
1: I think it's the other way around and I think the, the financial and the later economic crisis that just happened in 2008-2009 and the outcomes of that have made us realize that actually our previous perception of Africa being riskier than other parts of the world is just not the case because as you know firstly the African markets the investments in Africa corrected to a lesser extent compared virtually to everywhere else in the world and the, uh, the African economies began to rebound much faster and more strongly than anywhere else in the world so I think there is a, a learning through experience
0: uh, in which we should factor now into our approach to investing in Africa Interesting and for a foreign investor looking into investing in Africa Is there a way in which they can assess the risk is there an alternative way compared to the usual
1: uh, doing the numbers? I think so. I think uh, the business school approach Which is very clinical and very anesthetized doesn't always tell you everything so in Africa typically what I would look at there are companies that uh, that have been in Africa for About a hundred years, you know all the way from the colonial days and so on and by and large these companies have not sold out And just moved out of Africa They are staying in they are putting even more money And you know those companies in the banking sector and the mining sector. They are still there. They are staying around They're putting more money at play Secondly an interesting one is that a lot of Africans who went abroad to study and became professionals outside Africa You'll notice that in a lot of countries, these people are going back. They're not only going back themselves personally and their families physically, but they're taking capital and putting it on the ground in African countries. These are the people through their extended family linkages who will have a much, much better feel. Uh, Not through a business school type approach, but intuitive, local intelligence a feel for what the risk is. And they wouldn't be taking their families and putting their money into African countries if, in fact, they were as risky as we perceive them to be today.
0: So one way to assess the risk in Africa is to observe what the Africans are uh, doing themselves. So give us an, uh, some insights into what does it take for a foreign investor, for a company to go in Africa and succeed and earn profits. I think one of the obvious issues is that if Africa has got a
1: positive it of what I would call Information availability of market information in the way would understand it in especially in a developed Western market Now if that is the case in terms of typically doing due diligence It means you have to resort to different ways of gathering intelligence from the community uh, And that's information which is not publicly available the implication of that is that there is no intermediation of information which will help you In other words, institutions that specialize in getting information in such a way that you can rely on it, it becomes publicly available information. It means you have to dig deeper than that. You have to establish your own networks into the local communities and understand whether you're looking for a partner understanding the behavior of governments, the likelihood of what might come at you further down the line, you have to rely much more on an assessment which is very domestic, if you may call it that, as opposed to publicly available information.
0: I see. So can you give us an example which illustrates this point of a company succeeding through these local networks and understanding the local situation? I think a now sort of
1: classical one is when MTN went into Nigeria. I remember when they firstly they had to buy a license, and completely above board in the sense that p- people were bidding for licenses. people You know, like in what happens in Europe, uh, cell phone companies buy licenses in order to have the right to go and invest. And MTN bought their license for I think about 250 million US. So that is buying a license upfront before they even mobilize the capital to do the investment. Now I, I mean it's a fairly involved, uh, capital-intensive investment. And a lot of people, because of this lack of publicly available information about the market opportunity, literally were saying to themselves, what are MTN smoking? How can they justify buying a license for a quarter of a million dollars? But clearly they've done their homework in terms of this much more unconventional going to the market, get to know, partner with local Partner with local businessmen who understand the opportunity and the risks much better than you do as an outsider, and within a space of about three years, MTN were making more money out of the Nigerian market than out of the, their home base, South Africa.
0: Mm, quite interesting. So we've talked about uh, risk and we've talked about uh, success factors and an example of success. Let's take a little macro view now. Uh, we see a lot of numbers, a lot of positive numbers coming out of Africa. What are some of the factors that are driving this change? What are the reasons? What is the rationale underlying the numbers? I think there is two two things at play. There is
1: the outside influences on Africa which may not which may be subconscious. There is the evolution, I mean, and that will involve, for instance, the evolution of the quality of African leadership. In other words, there's been a transformation from the leaders who fought for African independence who who were acting on the influences which were at the time, remember the Cold War, a world which was divided between a value system of communism, socialism, if you like, on the one hand, and capitalism as practiced in the West. And when these people unsurprisingly got into government, they attempted to run their countries on a, a very... Eastern model which they didn't own or understand But what is happening over time is that younger leaders are coming through who have had exposure through going to study and working becoming professionals and their their uh, Socialization if I may call it that certainly is of a different world both in terms of their practice in government, in governance, the way they run institutions, their concept of how to manage resources and allocation of resources in terms of short shortage of capital. They're just running their countries and overseeing the operations of the private sector in a much more advanced way, not because they are smarter than the older guys, but just they've been influenced by a world that is completely different. The the first generation leaders, when you come to think of it, they took over a system where the the superstructure governance of private sector as well as government had been put in place for a minority, the colonial power. And the first leaders who came in took over the same system and continued to run it. So they became the beneficiaries of it. They didn't change the system. You know what you say in private equity, changing the jockey. They changed the
0: jockey and continued to run exactly the same system. But that has changed. Uh, you mentioned that the profile of the new leadership in Africa is now different. They are more in tune with today's world and the t- today's way of life, especially because some of them has be- have been exposed to the way of life in the West. Uh, So this is a political change which explains some of the uh, changes taking place in Africa Can you also talk a little about some of the economic changes? Typical again if we go back to the the people who
1: who led the struggle for independence They would have some of them would have gone to school So a lot of them actually did not really go very far in in terms of their schooling and what what uh, comes out of that is that you had people well, in terms of experience of work, had very little experience of work. The follow on effect from that is that they never had an opportunity to accumulate capital to look after their own families. So, when they got into government, they are presiding over a national resource, but they themselves, in a personal capacity, have got nothing. And therefore, you can see we tend to condemn what we call corruption. But actually, as a cold-blooded scientist, I'm challenged by how you, ex- how you expect these people to actually preside over these assets with an expectation from society of a lifestyle where their kids, their, their wives, go to certain schools, go to certain hospitals, because society's own expectation creates a catch-22, if you like. But the change that has happened is that more and more we're getting younger people Who've had an opportunity to actually go to college, work as professionals, accumulate capital, and create a living for their families so that when they go into the public sector now, it's for service, mm-hmm. not to make a living. And the dynamic that comes from that is a completely different one. They don't need to, if you like, steal a state. Assets in order to look after their families they've, they've provided for that so they can actually focus on making a real difference To their communities and I think you'll find that this will progressively Become evident as new African leaders come through That their needs are taken care of They themselves have got accumulated enough capital to look after their needs and their families And now they can focus on running a country and running it in a way that is now understood in the rest of the world I dare say actually most other countries have travelled exactly the same journey it's just we don't we tend to look at things in isolation as opposed to seeing the same progressions i mean look at land disputes they didn't start in africa i mean they've been all over the place the landed gentry in the uk and now leading to where we are over many years and africa will follow the same progression we'll see continued improvement as the ruling classes become sufficient in terms of their own ability to provide for their families and the need for them to steal becomes less and less. I see. And can we count on these changes to be sustainable? I think they will be sustainable because the the, part of the issue is that isolation of Africa being left on its own again is going to have less and less space. Part of the reason why is that out of a very unfortunate circumstance like September 11th that happened in the US security has become a global concern and therefore nation states are not going to have the space to be left to opt out of delivering with the rest of, of the world a more secure environment then we've got the issue of the environment environmental pollution and what have you similarly this has now become a global issue and i think you'll find that there will be a convergence of certain things which means there is very little space for opting out of what the world considers as the way to behave. Human rights, even allowing for certain very cultural practices to still take place. But on the whole, you find that the human rights will move again in a converging way where there is going to be global standards with capacity to allow for cultural differences and so on and so on. I think we're moving into a very unified world where there are norms which are accepted, but also where the leaders themselves come from an environment where they've got common experiences through education, through work, and and therefore it will be easier for them to converge in terms of doing things.
0: Let's say there are global forces and positive pressures to make these changes sustainable. Now, my final question is, uh, what's your message for the investors looking to invest in Africa? What are the key benefits they can expect if you could uh, give a, you know, uh, a brief answer to this question for the investors. I think I think all of the
1: what is normally perceived as negatives about Africa. in many ways, the same attributes or characteristics create an opportunity for investing in the first place and getting a good return on that investment secondly. Uh, next is that I've just described to you forces at play, which are creating a convergence in terms of a recognizable world. So the sustainability of the investment, the security of those investments, combined with the evidence which we now have that the risks in Africa actually, the real risks, are lower than what we perceived. I think these are very good reasons for engaging with Africa. Then the whole natural resource play, if you're wanting to secure your own involvement in that space, you cannot ignore what's going on in Africa.
0: Excellent. So uh, this was Dr. Moyo sharing his insights on investing in Africa. Thank you, Dr. Moyo, so much for your insights. You're welcome. And thank Thank you, our viewers, for joining us.